This episode of Misspent Youth is dedicated to the memory of Michael A. Cunningham, editor-in-chief of RP Gamer, who sadly passed on a few days ago. Uh, this week's guest, Becky Cunningham, no relation, uh, was a former co-worker and good friend of his. I only interacted with Mac a handful of times online, but he was a passionate, kind, and thoughtful individual who will be missed by those who knew him and those who followed his work. Um, you have got some very big cats in your house. Yes, <laughs> yes we do. Got two big boys. Tell me about these big boys. I see pictures of them all the time, and I'm very, very <laughs> interested. Well, there are there are rescue kitties. Um, Giles, we got uh, a few years ago. They're our second generation of cats, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's our ADHD kitty. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, well, it was funny when we got him at the shelter because we had an old cat um, still when we adopted him. Yeah, and so they were like. Well, he's young, but he's really he's really calm. He's really like laid back. We're like, okay, cool. And he wasn't. He was hungry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Once we got him home and got food into him, he was like, woo, woo, all over the house. <laughs> so we actually had to keep him separated from the old cat who had cancer for uh-huh. the whole thing until she passed away. Mm. And then we had just him for a while, and he came across. Um, we moved from Toronto, Canada, to. Um, BC a, a few years ago and he mm-hmm. came across the continent with us in our car and was uh-huh. a little trooper through that and we, but we realized like he kept he, like he really wanted a cat friend to play with he would like my husband walk around and he would attack his foot and try to wrestle <laughs> like yeah. okay so I spent months looking he's like okay He's big and he's rambunctious so I need someone who can handle him mm-hmm. and then we found Thorin who's this big orange guy um <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 patiently, although he's three years younger, you would think he was the older brother, and he he patiently tolerates Giles trying to play with him all the time. So he's the, he's the stoic one. Well. Sorry, he's the strong yeah. stoic one. Yeah, he's the strong stoic one. <laughs> so if we'd known, we probably would have called Thor and Thor and and Giles Loki because that's pretty much how it goes. That's, that's the relationship, huh? <laughs> yep. Yeah, you have, a, you have a pretty big boy yourself, don't I, you? I've got a huge boy. He's laying down on the floor trying to keep cool at the moment. Uh, Borscht, he is half Russian blue and half ragdoll. Um, <laughs> apparently, those are supposed to be both, like, very laid-back breeds. And he's just, mm-hmm. like, he is such a needy little guy, um, <laughs> which I don't mind so much. But, like, he will. he was shouting at me this morning when the sun was up uh, just to, you know wake up and i guess just feed him really but um i'd love to get him a friend uh i'm i don't know how you'd cope with it really it's one of those tricky things i think like first of all we need a lot more space because i've barely mm-hmm. got enough space for this this giant cat um so i'd want to have like a bigger apartment and then like i guess you just have to introduce them slowly but i think he'd really yeah. benefit from having a friend around yeah, it's kind of nice because they get their cat stuff out on each other, and then when it's time to be with humans, they're like, "Hello, I love you." <laughs> yeah, I need to. I need to make a special effort to like really play with Borscht and tire him out, or he'll like mm-hmm. stalk me at five in the morning when I'm going to the toilet. Yeah, so. but we still, even with a cat friend, we still have to play with Giles pretty regularly because yeah. he's got just a ridiculous amount of energy. But it helps to have the friend. I mean, I'm I'm very happy to play with him. It's just um, it, he's. I think he might have more energy than I do at the end of the day. Yeah, probably. <laughs>
Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 15 of Misspent Youth, a podcast on video games, why we play, and who we are. I'm your host, Robert Fenner, at MisanthropBob on Twitter, and this week I'm joined by Becky Cunningham. Becky, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Oh, thank you for joining me. Um, in your own words, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? I'm sure. I am a Southern California girl um, who kind of uh, left the U.S. for Canada and a uh, nice Canadian lad uh, about, geez, 15 years ago now. I um, currently live in British Columbia, the beautiful West Coast, and um, my gaming history, I've been a gamer since the mid-1980s, um, where I started off with, uh, well, really old, like, B-Run games, and then moved on to Sierra Adventures, and eventually found role-playing games, which are my first love. Um, okay. Yeah. Sierra Adventures were, they entered my lexicon really early as well. Um, a friend of my mom's sent us um, some early LucasArts and early Sierra games um, mm -hmm. that she was a big fan of. So those were like, those were always in my house from a really young age. Um, nice. Um, sorry, you were going to say something? I didn't oh, no, no, go you. ahead. Oh, <laughs> um, tell me about the first game you remember playing. Weesh. Um... I think one of the first games we played a whole lot of, at least, was, um, I don't even, I think it was Wizard of Words. So, of course, my parents being my parents, it was an educational game, very uh -huh. wonderful for us. Um, and, yeah, just, it was word games and other good stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I've heard more, of that one. Yeah, well, I mean, this was, you know, the early 80s. Our first our first computer was an Apple IIc that we uh, bought used from friends, and mm -hmm. it came with all sorts of lovely pirated software on floppy disk. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know if that came with a computer if my parents bought it, but that was, like, the first big one my sister and I played with a whole bunch. Uh -huh. And um, my first uh, sort of game that I chose for myself was um, the Black Cauldron Sierra Adventure, which is not one of their better-known ones, but... It was like yeah. one of the really old ones where you would watch the um, every screen get drawn like bit by bit <laughs> when you loaded in a new scene. Okay, so it was like pre like pre CGA. Uh, yeah, some, I think it was EGA. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, because they had that. They had a they briefly had a tie in with Disney, didn't they? Or was it just for that one game? I, mean, I think it was just that one game. It was just they they licensed that one, and um, it was it was done. I think after King's Quest One, but okay, just happened to happened to see it on the shelf, and I was like, I love the Last Cauldron. So, uh -huh. <laughs> but, yeah, it was fun. That was also my first time calling the Sierra Hint Line because I got stuck near the very very end of the game. Um, and it turns out all I needed to do was move one pixel to the right to start some sort of pre-animated scene, but I didn't know. Oh, that's really mean. Those those hint lines, those those were the days I remember. Um, I think I like I called a hint line once um, when I couldn't figure out uh, the very specific um, way to spell birthmark that Snatcher wanted me to to enter it into the parser. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and um, some Infocom games too. Um, mm. It was very sad that I was not allowed to play the letter Leather Goddesses of Phoebe's because I was like ten. <laughs> but um, we we played a bunch of the other ones. So never ever finished Zork, but attempted to many times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, my I... mom and I. 
Yes. Uh, we used to play a game called Norden Burke Couldn't Make Head or Tails of It Together. It was like a, um, it was also a word game um, where you had like different kinds of wordplay that you had to put into the parser, and that was a lot of fun. I did hear of that one. I, I didn't play it for myself. My Inficom, uh, my hands-on knowledge of Inficom is pretty limited. I mean, I've played some of the, some of the bigger ones, but um, like I, I, you know, I mostly heard about how pioneering they were rather than actually experiencing them for myself. Because I think I was yeah, they were, they were really something else. Because you know, part of the game was figuring out what syntax to use and and what words worked and what words didn't and what words you know ended up with really silly replies and things like that mm-hmm. so you um kind of essentially started out with interactive fiction yeah yeah pretty much um and that's kind of where i've come back to now as i'm sort of becoming a a newbie game developer i'm, I'm working on a visual novel so oh really yes okay Yes, it's going to be an um, an Otome game, which is ones that are more oriented towards a female audience, um, loosely inspired by um, Robin Hood. Okay, wow. Except you play, of course, as Maid Marian, because it's an Otome. (laughs) Are you at liberty to talk much about that, or is that something like that you're... Yeah, no, I can talk. I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, it's sort of an early development now, so um, I will probably be looking for um, an artist partner um, within the next few months once I've mm-hmm. finished um, scripting sort of the segment that I think is going to be my demo. Mm-hmm. And then I'm planning on getting an artist partner and then taking it into um, some crowdfunding because we would like it to be a commercial project. So. Awesome. Yeah. I'm really thrilled about the sort of um, Otome renaissance that we've been seeing over the past, uh, over the course of the past decade. Um, yeah. It's, it's quite inspiring, I find. Yeah, I, and I really like, um, you know, I started out reading the ones that came from Japan, um, mm-hmm. but the protagonists in most of them don't really appeal to me because they're really big on, for one thing, the amnesiac protagonist, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, eh. <laughs> and um, also they tend to be fairly passive because I think you're supposed to project your own personality onto them. Mm. And I sort of prefer more the Western tradition where there's the, the protagonist kind of has a personality already. Or um, I've played a couple where you sort of establish your personality at the beginning through a little, uh, some, a few role-playing questions, and um, I, okay. I, I much prefer that. I think I probably would, too. I, I don't think I've played any Western Otome, but I have played um, a number of those, uh, a number of those Japanese games, and, like... <sighs> Like I know that like I'm not a I'm not a Japanese girl, so they're obviously not aimed at me. But it always sort of stuck out at me that, um, yeah, you know, as you said, the protagonists tend to be very passive to the point of like being pushovers or like kind of like bullied by the guys, and yeah. and like it always just made me think like, oh man, just stand up for yourself, please. <laughs> Can't I just have yeah. like an option to do that? Um, That's right. I really liked um, Sweet Fuse because in that one the protagonist is, is actually quite plucky. And one of the things you can do every once in a while when the guys get really obnoxious is there's a button you press and she goes, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm like, that's the best. And frequently that is actually a positive choice for the storyline too. So I was like, okay, this I can get on board with. That's the um, pretend to be K.G. Inafune's fictional niece game, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. And you're, stu- you're stuck in, a, um, in an amusement park that's been taken over by a creepy guy. I haven't played that one yet. It looks super cute. Um, but, like, that, that was one of the things that I liked so much about um, Hatofu Boyfriend. I mean, I, I loved so much about that game. But that 
uh, game's protagonist is a real character, and like when you know when the pigeon boys get out of hand, she'll just like pick them up and put them outside the window. <laughs> and I have to admit, I actually haven't played How to Full Boyfriend yet. I keep meaning to, but it's one of those that I, I haven't gotten around to. It's pretty special. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's something that you've heard uh, a million oh, yeah. times by now. But yeah, it's it really um, lives up to its hype. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely need to play. I mean, I I don't know why I haven't yet because I love weird games. Like mm. weird games are definitely my bag. It's 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 got a lot of heart as well. Um, mm-hmm. They there's an obvious um, Hatomoa, the creator. I think she's she's got um, she's. I, I, it's obvious that she's got issues with the genre, but also likes it a lot. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that that shines through in the writing, and I think it's really really special. Um, yeah, that's it's definitely especially in the West. Um, a lot of um, creators come from right now in the West come from either the U.S., Europe, or also there's a lot of folks in the Philippines making Otomes right now. So, um, and there's definitely some good experimentation going on. So it's kind of exciting to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems like there's there's you know a, a lot of the fans, uh, a lot of the Western fans of the genre. Um, I find that they've got it, it's got like quite a quite a large queer fan base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for um, sure. Seeing uh, seeing queer creators, um, you know, get inspired by these projects and do their own take on it, I think is is you know a really really exciting thing to bear witness to. Yeah, and it's definitely I, I like seeing the ones that that have a few different choices. Um, uh, Made Marion, which is M A D E Marion. Um, which is what I'm going to call mine, um, as, as a couple of um, female love interests and also a um, genderqueer sort of non-gendered um, love interest as well, because I definitely want to... And also um, some folks that aren't white, because mm-hmm. um, even back in jolly old England, back then they had non-white people. And actually it's set in a fa- fantasy version of England anyway, but still. Yeah. I always want to try to make sure that happens, because that whole vision of, you know, ancient Europe being a place with nothing but white people is completely wrong, so. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I've got some strong opinions of uh, people who are trying to uphold that myth in games at the moment. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's important to yeah, I think it's important to to break down that barrier and dispel that um, sort of you know nationalist nation building myth of mm-hmm. um, you know this idealized fortress Europa that never was or or an America yeah. that never was or you know any country that never was. Um, so yeah, and also uh, my background is in uh, sociology anthropology. That's what I studied in university, and I just love when I'm when I'm writing stories, um, exploring sort of cultural interactions and. Um, you know, characters from different cultures, um, mm. you know, and, and the ways that they get along or don't get along and the conflicts that can arise from that. Um, it's just really interesting to me, too. So, What, what was your area of focus? Um, I was anthropology and sort of um, looking at small group interaction was a big mm-hmm. thing that I did. Um, and then I got my grad degree in immigration and settlement studies in Canada. Okay. Um because I'd just gone through the process myself and <laughs> I was living in Toronto at the time and meeting all sorts of people from all over the world who were going through the process at the same time, yeah. um, which was really pretty cool. So I, I majored in that and then um, ended up uh, going freelance writing instead of actually working in that area. But um, it's definitely something that still informs a lot of what I do. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I know that you were. I know that you were writing games critique. Were you uh, writing mm-hmm. other things alongside that, or? Um, for, I was mostly writing um, games critique and and starting to work on doing my own creative writing. So I've taken some classes in that. So that's mm-hmm. this is going to be my first big attempt at, at writing something and actually, gosh darn it, finishing it. <laughs> um, it took a long time. I recommend people who are looking into being writers to actually try some freelancing because mm-hmm. um, having those external deadlines is really a great way to um, build up um, the the, the uh, discipline that you need. Hmm. Um, so are you doing freelance writing at the moment or are you um, taking time out of that to work on your on your independent project? At the moment, I'm mostly working on my independent project and also doing some um, part time work in just in the local area and, mm-hmm. and doing some volunteering with refugees here, too. So that's mostly what I'm doing at the moment. Oh, that's wonderful. So I've got the impression that you were drawn to uh, more narrative games from from a very, uh, very early age. Um, yes, definitely. Was that just from like a from a, a love of fiction, or was there something in particular that sort of pushed you in that direction? I've always been a huge reader, mm-hmm. um, especially fantasy sci-fi. Um, my dad kind of brought me into that. He's a, a um, he's read The Lord of the Rings, I think, fifteen times or something like that. Um, oh wow! Okay. So yeah, yeah for like um, you know some of my earliest books were stuff that um like watership down and the never-ending story the actual book um which i read after the movie mm-hmm. um and the hobbit and then in sixth grade i got presented to be on a golden platter the 1970s uh the printed version of the lord of the rings to read um <laughs> and, and shortly after that i started finding um books by female authors which was a lot more rare in fantasy in the 1980s um mm. and um so through the 80s and 90s i i um, was able to read, you know, I, I, I've read a lot of stuff. I'd raided my dad's closet and read a lot of stuff by the more older male authors. And I subscribed to science fiction magazine, which had like the really old guys like Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and, and so it was really nice when I started finding female authors who, who had maybe met women before <laughs> when they wrote them. Right. Well, as much as I love the work of authors like William Gibson, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the romance is pretty horny. <laughs> Yeah, and it's um, and also you know uh, being introduced to some queer characters through Mercedes Lackey, who's definitely you know kind of problematic in some ways. But back in the early nineties, it was like whoa. <laughs> yeah, and that um, was before I'd even come out to myself. But I realized like you know seeing characters who who were not heterosexual was pretty neat. <laughs> no, I imagine it was. I I was kind of like i was kind of grasping at straws um when i saw those kind of characters when i was growing up because like um my parents had a lot of books around but they were very cautious about what they would let me read um so mm-hmm. i'm sure there was a lot of um alternative sexuality in a lot of the uh a lot of the science fiction that they had but like i would i'd catch a glimpse in um like anime home videos back in the day and like um rent uh, i remember renting like the first tape the first uh, ova of um uh three by three eyes which begins with like the main character getting ready to go work in a drag bar and i was like oh this is exciting what's happening here <laughs> um but yeah like i i think i would have appre- appreciated um finding that kind of stuff liter- literary at a young age as well but that kind of came yeah. later for me when i started becoming more acquainted with queer authors 
Yeah, at least when I started reading, which is I, I think you're a little bit younger than me, but um, I, I think bit, a yeah. lot of a lot of that was sort of um, still relegated to the realm of pulp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so we, yes, we didn't was. have a lot of queer characters in the books in my house, even though I pretty much. Once I was probably in fifth grade or sixth grade, like I could read anything. My parents, my parents were like, "If it's a book, it's not going to hurt you." Mm-hmm. Um, so I read stuff that you know wasn't age appropriate. But quite frankly, when you when you're at that age, like you, that stuff goes over your head anyway. Yeah, most of it. So, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, and now I've lost my thread, so that's all right. <laughs> that's okay. I'm constantly losing mine, but it, I've got, we've got the magic of editing. It'll be fine. <laughs> Huzzah! Uh-huh. Um, so, um, tell me about how you discovered RPGs and what uh, what what drew you to those. Uh, so, I think the first RPG I played, at least the first one that I really remember playing, was The Bard's Tale 1 hmm. um, back on our Apple II GS um, very old school interface, and you had a party, and you walked step by step. It was it was a gritter for people who are familiar with that. The ones where you you know sort of walk step by step through the through a an early three D world back then, mm-hmm. um, and you know you had to get out the graph paper and, and map out the <laughs> the maze that you were in. And I was terrible at it. <laughs> I ended up buying the hint book just so that I had the the maps there. <laughs> Was, for one thing, they never told you where on the graph paper to start mapping, so you start mapping, and then like you'd realize the map would have to come off the page. Um, <laughs> to tape those pages together, yeah, was, yeah. I just found it so intriguing. You know, you didn't you you had to map out where you were going and and um, solve puzzles and and you know work on all these stats and stuff. Um, I learned how to hex edit. <laughs> in order to play the Barnes Tale so that I can alter my character statistics and stuff like that. Oh no, so, you're cheating with hex editing? <laughs> yeah, I was totally cheating with hex editing. <laughs> game, early games could really not just get you into gaming, but also into really learning your computer and your operating system too. Um, even to get some of them running. Yeah. You have to learn your operating system. Especially yeah. once we, we abandoned Apple when they dropped the Apple II line mm-hmm. from Macintosh and went went to DOS and then when I when I was learning DOS, you know, I, I once uh, managed to uh, completely blow up my entire computer and cause a stream of Greek characters to flash down the screen while oh my God. attempting to run an Ultima game because I, I, I incorrectly auto, um, edited my config sys. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I had tape backups, so I had to restore the whole computer. Wow. Okay, that that turns into an afternoon's work. <laughs> yeah, it does. But you know, like. It was great because I learned all about computers. And yeah, I'm very comfortable with operating systems because of my gaming habit. Yeah, I remember uh, messing around with DOS at a very young age, and you know, having to. There were some things that I just couldn't figure out, and I think it just might have been the hardware where, like, we had some kind of sound blaster derivative that uh, just could not be configured. Um, for certain <laughs> games, like uh, settings would work for one game and they wouldn't work for another, and it was just arcane yeah. and and wild, and um, I just didn't know where to begin sometimes. But like I, I would usually spend like a weekend trying to get something to run, and it, yeah. it felt very uh, it felt like a big triumph when you actually did. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was sort of a uh, there was one sort of generation of Ultima games and a couple of Ultima spin-offs where you had to like edit your extended and expanded memory to get them run, running properly, and that oh was really a mess. 
That's so that's like beyond boot disks, huh? Oh yeah, that was that was like you had to edit auto exec that and config sys and and put in memory ranges and stuff like that. Oh. And of course, we didn't have a whole lot of internet back then, so it was just yeah. what you could read in the manual, and then you hoped you did it right. I have a vague memory of doing something similar, but that was that was so long ago now. Um, but yeah, just just constantly messing with constantly messing with everything to you know to get my games to work um yeah that was my that was my junior high and high school years so uh-huh. my, my dad made a pact with us that if um my sister and i if we learned to uh, type at least 40 words per minute touch type um then we got our own computer so i took typing my freshman year of college and got to have my own computer <laughs> played all the you know early 90s crpgs yeah uh wh- yeah, what, what were your uh, what were you into the, in those days I'm sorry, you you blanked out on there for a second. What uh, what were you playing in those days? So in the in the early nineties, um, I did uh, sort of the mid gener mid um, Ultima games, the mid Wizardry games, mm-hmm. um, Might and Magic. Uh, so I've I've always had a, a little thing for for uh, gritters. Um, mm-hmm. Eye of the Beholder, another gritter. Yeah, um, I, I also I was played a big fan of that back in the days as well. Yeah, I also played some of the the later. Um, uh, the, the, the adventure games like Loom, which was really awesome. It was sort of a, um, it was an adventure game with a big focus on music, which was really neat. Um, and the the Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis and the, those mm. good good games like that. Fate, um, Loom looked wild. I never played it uh, myself, but um, I think I I thought that it just looked incredibly intimidating. I was you know looking at those screens of Bob and Threadbare operating that big loom, and I was like. Oh. Mm. I don't know if I can deal with this. Um, <laughs> but um I was a big fan of Fate of Atlantis. It was um it I wasn't too interested in the kind of like shoddy looking Indiana Jones platformers, but here was this whole mm-hmm. um you know globe trotting adventure of playing Indiana Jones in one of three different ways and solving problems and you know smart smart talking people. Um Yep. I thought it was was very I I got a lot of mileage out of that one. Oh yeah, that was I mean, and smart talking has been a love of mine in gaming forever. Uh-huh. I I may over the past you know twenty years or so, I've become a dedicated stealthy thief character in mm-hmm. in games. So that's whenever there's a fast talking or smart talking, I'm like, woo, yay! <laughs> well, that's the most fun, you know, seeing you know seeing if you can convince somebody and seeing how that goes. Mm-hmm. Or just um, you know being a bit mouthy just uh, just for the sake of it. Yeah, yeah, snarky hawk forever. Yeah. <laughs> so you were um, you were primarily a PC gamer back in those days. I was. I didn't get my first console till two thousand two. Okay. When what I you, when I got a get? PlayStation PlayStation two. Okay. That's that's yeah. the that's the console to get. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I was um, going to be going in for surgery, and so I grabbed a. a, a, a I asked for a PlayStation for Christmas, which, which my mom was at the store <laughs> buying one for me. And they're like, so do you want to buy the extended warranty? Because kids can be really rough on their time. I was like, she's 25. <laughs> I think she'll be fine. <laughs> so she sent me a PlayStation. And I played um, Secret and 3 and um, Final Fantasy X as I was recovering from surgery. Okay. was Were those your sort of introduction to the Japanese role-playing game? I had played um, Final Fantasy. I think Final Fantasy VIII was my very first JRPG, uh-huh. which was not ideal. Not a fan, huh? 
Um, when they found out they all grew up in the same orphanage, yeah. I quit in disgust. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, because I, I brought a friend um, shortly after college when I was working my first job. And um, so then I played Final Fantasy IX, and I, I loved that one and finished it. Mm. <laughs> I just remember my, my first experience being with eight was not the best idea. I'm uh, I'm one of the bigger eight apologists in my circle of friends, um, but yeah, I I've, I've got to agree with you there. I um I still played through after that, but I mean that game came out when I I, I must have been fourteen or fifteen um, when I played that, and even then I was just like, oh, this isn't right. This isn't <laughs> this isn't good at all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just the the way the the entire system worked is is not a good idea for a first timer who doesn't understand oh. any of the syntax or anything like that. God, and then yeah. you had to do the draw system, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" It's super arcane, and like leveling yeah. doesn't really matter, and it's not like anything else that came before in that series. It's it's mm-hmm. something unto itself. It's weird. It's stupid. I still like it, but. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I also can't fault any of the uh, any critiques that people have of it. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't think it's an awful game or anything. Like, I just the story just like went kind of stupid places. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it really did. Um, I I think it probably lost its own way. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if the uh, Final Fantasy has a tendency to do that, which is why I, I sort does, of hesitate to call myself a, a fan of the series. Like I played most of the games, mm-hmm. but it's it's not one of those where oh my god, new Final Fantasy! Like I've never been like that. But like, okay, let's try this one. <laughs> I was a pretty big fan uh, in the '90s, and then I think it was around. It was probably after. I mean, I like Nine a lot, and it was after that that I sort of, you know stopped really calling myself a fan and became a little bit more skeptical of what the series was trying to do um i think part of that was getting older as well um so now like i'll generally play them but um i I don't expect anything too great you know yeah it's it's, it was interesting becoming a console gamer later in life because i don't have that nostalgia for the 90s games and i've played a bunch of them and i love some of them i hate some of them Mm -hmm. um i have still not played final fantasy 6 because i am the world's most stubborn person Mm -hmm. and i'm waiting for them to do a remake with nice graphics (laughs) so uh, everyone, I, I worked at RPGamer.com for for a number of years, and everybody on staff there was like, "You ever play Final Fantasy VI? You have to play Final Fantasy VI." I'm like, "I will do it when they do a remake. They will make a remake someday. They've remade Final Fantasy IV like 15 times. It's got to happen sooner or later." Yeah, I was looking into that, and um, I guess the 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 people who worked on Final Fantasy IV just really love remaking that game over and over again and the mm-hmm. people who worked on final fantasy 6 are like mm, no we don't really care so then like everybody else who works on the who who you know puts together these remakes you're like oh well if you don't really care uh, it doesn't feel right <laughs> so yeah. i don't know and i refuse to play the mobile one with the really ugly characters oh, it looks so horrible <laughs> yeah I th- did, I did they change the uh the character art as well i think they might have dummied out amino's uh character portraits i think they i think they use them on us oh they are character portraits. okay but i i don't know because i haven't looked at it extensively i just saw the sprites and was like no yeah and like it's it's not just the sprites that i think i think kotaku uh penned an article where 
a chip artist looked at how like the tiles don't match up and it just looks mm. weird um like I don't want to use RPG uh, Maker game as an insult because there's plenty of good ones, but like a yeah. very amateurish RPG Maker game that doesn't know how to use a tile set properly. It yeah. looks so like that. So if it were made by me. <laughs> or like if somebody just like ripped the tile set of, of Final Fantasy and then, you know, remade it without understanding how those pieces fit together. It's weird. It's really weird to look at. But Yeah. Yeah, and I have to admit, like, I know a lot of old school gamers are like, it's not about the graphics. They're like, you know what? I am a bit of a graphics hoe. Not <laughs> only everything has to be like super amazing, you know, latest tech 3D, but I like good design. Mm -hmm. And if a game doesn't have, you know, solid design, I'm, I'm usually a little less into it. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm very much um, like style over technology, um, mm -hmm. but. Like, I guess as I've become older and a little bit more impatient, um, I'll find it harder to go back to things. Like, um, like I used to really love the Sega Master System, and now I can't really, I can't really bear to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's fully graphics. Maybe it's just like, I don't know, slowness and, you know, getting used to quality of life improvements, and then maybe like a sort of, mm, you can't go home again. I don't know. Maybe I just want to pre yeah. preserve my memories rather than... Well, no, totally. Like, The Bard's Tale was my first love of RPGs, and I played the heck out of it. Yeah. But someone made, about 10 years ago, I think, someone made a, a Bard's Tale sort of nostalgia project in the same style. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, they pretty much used the same kind of interface. Oh, wow. I, okay. I could not play it. I was like, I know I played this when I was a kid, but no. Mm. Yeah, I, I I didn't know about that, but I remember I remember there was some kind of Bard's Tale reboot that kind of turned it into like a sexy adventure. Um, oh yeah, I never played that because yeah. I was personally offended by it. <laughs> yeah, it didn't look good. <laughs> but, yeah, um, that's it's it's one of my criticisms um, with. Uh, I guess with like sequels of old properties or the sort of not so much sequels, but like uh, games that are sort of trading on uh, nostalgia for a bygone era. Um, mm -hmm. I think that I think that these works need to be transformative, and they can't just um, imitate what came before because yeah. um, time moves on and trends move on, and I think it's all well and good using. Uh, limitations. I think limitations can uh, bring some really interesting, um, interesting uh, creativity uh, out of the mm -hmm. creator. But when you're in enforcing limitations just for the sake of them, rather than yeah. uh, I'm rambling here. I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say. But um, yeah, if you're going to do a nostalgia game or something that is like heavily influenced by something that came before, it needs to have its own identity too. Is yeah, what I'm getting at. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I really like um, the Cthulhu Saves the World and Cosmic Star Hero and guys because I feel like they have a good reason why they do what they do, and they mm -hmm. really try to put their own spin on it and a modern spin on it. Because I don't, I don't play a lot of the nostalgia games, mm -hmm. um, even though I'm I'm old school and I love like I I love a lot of older genres that are supposedly not as popular anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but the ones that are just like I loved this game, so I'm going to try to make my own kind of it, mm -hmm. and that's kind of as far as they get. It's like mm. no, nah, I already played that game. <laughs> 
Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I thought my cat was shouting. Uh, oh, okay. wasn't... I'm surprised, actually, nobody's jumped on the keyboard yet. During... Yeah, I <laughs> saw somebody pouncing around in the background behind you earlier. Yeah, that was that was Giles, the ADD cat. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thorne has been asleep in his box on the entertainment center the entire time. So. Okay. He's not having any of it today. <laughs> uh, this is just this is box time. <laughs> Um, so tell me a little bit about your trajectory through the medium during the um, during the PS2 years. Um, well, I uh, around the time I got my PS2, I also um, immigrated to Canada and was not allowed to work for a year. Okay, that's so, when you, that's when you met your husband. Yeah, that was when I met my I met my husband and um, came up here. Um, they don't have fiance class immigration in Canada. So, really? Okay. Yeah, you, you just kind of have to go to the border and be like, hi, I'm here as a visitor, but we're going to get married. And at least in my case, they yell at me and tell me I shouldn't have done that. Even though I called their hotline, and they told me that's all I could do. Um, <laughs> and, and said, okay, you have three months to get married. <laughs> so so we had, we had a, an immigration shotgun wedding. That was exciting. Right, okay. Um, and um, then, then I just had to wait for my paperwork to get processed. So I played a lot of um, RPGs. That's that's when I played through the entire Sukaden series up to up to that point, and um, that's that's one of my all time favorite series. Uh, mm, mm. And um, yeah, uh, enjoyed. There, there were not that was sort of during the time that PC gaming kind of died for a while. Uh-huh. Um, so that that was one of the big reasons I got into consoles. So I was like, okay, other than MMOs, there's not a lot coming out here. So I might as well try these console things. Yeah, it was like MMOs and competitive shooters for that period of the mid two thousands. Yeah, no. yeah, and seeing and now that now that you know what I grew up on, you can see that I've I've never been good at uh, shooters of any sort. Mm-hmm. I just don't I don't have the twitch reflexes because I didn't grow up with them. Yeah, same here. Um, yeah, so I and and I'm not I don't know. I'm an incredibly competitive board gamer. Okay. Um, and I think when I when I play, if I play computer games with friends and families, I'm pretty competitive too. But I have just no desire to play competitive games with strangers. Yeah, just, I get that, and a lot of my friends feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like part of it is probably because like most of them are way younger than me anyway, mm-hmm. and but you know like. And I don't need to get pwned by a 12-year-old. It's just something I'm interested in doing. And even if I win, I'm just like, okay, yeah, I won. Whatever. I don't know these people. There's no reason for you to be like, ah, I won. I'll get you with my friends. <laughs> so, yeah, whatever. So it's just uh, I, I'm more on about the single player or um, sometimes uh, cooperative games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, I've, I've always been the same way, and uh, and I still am. Yeah. Even during during that era, I, I did try to get into RTS games, although I'm not real fond of the base rush type of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I much prefer turn based strategy. But uh, that was when uh, when my husband and I were were early married. So we discovered that we could not play Warcraft against each other um, because I'm an extremely extremely aggressive player, and he's uh-huh. an extremely defensive player. So I would rush all my night elves <laughs> into his base, and his base was, like, huge, and he had no offense. So it was just, like, you know, you know force meets immovable objects. You know? Exactly, we like, yeah. okay, now what do we do? <laughs> it sounds like a good match, if you ask me. <laughs> it was a long match, and we got bored. So we play cooperatively. We don't play competitively with each other, because our personalities are just too different for that. <laughs> um, what do you two play together? 
we were, we, we usually we met playing an MMORPG. We met playing um, Dark Age of Camelot mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, and so we, we will often play MMOs together. Although my current MMO is Elder Scrolls Online, and he doesn't like the combat, so we're not playing those online. Mm. Um, but we spend a lot of time playing World of Warcraft together in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, I have forced him to play Overcooked with me. I'm not sure if he likes it, but I think it's fun. <laughs> and he he uh, he uh, is willing to do that. He's not willing to play um, Second Fiddle 3D Mario, however, with me. <laughs> oh yeah, because it's like um, it's like not not so much a second player, is it? Yeah. Well, part of it is. I have an enduring love for 3D platformers and 3D platformers only. I cannot play 2D platformers. I tried with the old Epic Shareware back in the day. I was terrible at it. Um, I just, I don't know what it is, but something just doesn't click with me about them. I'm just bad at them. But 3D platformers I love. Mm -hmm. And my husband hates platformers of all types. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I'm playing Super Mario Galaxy, and I need help with some levels. I'm like, please, please, take this Weevil. Just just, just help me out with this. <laughs> and, of course, he purposefully killed me the entire time. He'd like, you know, stop the platform and then take it out from behind me and just laugh at me. I was like, fine, you won't play with me. I got it. Oh, that's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and he's not... Well, he's not a mean person most of the time. He's like the uh, sweetest person. Like, everyone meets him. He's like, your husband's so sweet, but... <laughs> but you know the truth. <laughs> I, I know, I know the true personality and the sarcastic comments he never says in public. <laughs> <laughs> you like Suikoden. I like Suikoden. Um, yes. Tell me a little bit. So, um, I take it you started with three and sort of worked your way back. Yes, yes started with three. Um, really thought it, the the three protagonist thing was pretty interesting. Um, didn't actually mind the backtracking, mm. and I just loved the all the unique characters that you got to play. Um, and the fact that Jeddo and Chris were both hot, that was pretty great. Yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, uh, but I, I, I don't know what it, what it was about. I think it was, it was some um, sort of getting to recruit all the different characters and yeah. them. I'm not real big into the combat system they use. So combat was all sort of like, okay, once you get to the point where you can just beat everything with the button press that that's weaker than you is when I liked playing it best. I found Suicoden 3's battle system completely inscrutable to the point where like it I enjoyed that game a lot but it, it, I just couldn't really figure out that game mo- for, for most of my you know play for most of my playthrough and um, where was I going uh, yeah it, it almost put me off that series but it didn't in the end um, and I'm mm-hmm. glad that they went back to um, the sort of more traditional uh, style in the uh, games that followed it. Yeah, well, I didn't mind the team up part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, part of it was it was one of my first, like I think it was my first console RPG that wasn't Final Fantasy. Right. So I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what what the norms were. So I was just like, okay, you up these people, whatever. I did just I did fine on the combat system. It just wasn't. I was like, okay, now that's fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, and after that we went um, while I was. In my immigration limbo, I played Sikadin 1 and Sikadin 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I still actually, 3 is still my favorite in the series, I think, because I started with it and I, I really like the characters in it. Mm. Um, but but I like that uh, it's got ducks. 2 is also great. Sorry? I like that it's got so many ducks. <laughs> the ducks are pretty great, yes. The ducks are amazing, yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, I, I wasn't a real big fan of Hugo, but I've never been a real big fan of the the typical JRPG youth protagonist. Mm. Um, but uh, I like this Griffin and his duck buddy. Yeah, he's got slightly more going on with him. Than... He does, he does, and I liked him more as that sort of progressed, and and he became a deeper character. Yeah, it's just that that particular character archetype. Like, I don't, and I, I don't get it. <laughs> it's not my experience at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being the, the plucky Japanese youth who's like, power of friendship! <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, like, even when I was a kid, it never really appealed to me, because I was like, oh, I want to be you know, I, I want to be one of these weird grown-ups doing their mm-hmm. uh, doing their subterfuge. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So. I, I've been a swashbuckler since I read The Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. and Aragorn and Eowyn were both my, they, they, were, my, they were my pals. Um, <laughs> and so I'm a lot more into the slightly more mature characters, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a little bit more emotional growth. Mm. Um, the the uh, the journey, the the hero's journey from youth, uh, I can skip the youth part. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm I'm more interested in you know like a redemption story or yeah yeah um, something that's got a little bit more going on. I really really liked uh, Ghetto's character and his uh, and his arc. Yeah yeah. That was that was my um, that was my favorite of those three stories. Uh, yeah, when when he finally lost his temper, I was like, this is great. <laughs> Yeah, I um I played through that first game uh when I uh, when I first emigrated to the UK uh in 96 uh I think it came out in early 97, maybe a little bit later. Um but I remember it was like the it was the first new JRPG that I'd played since moving. So it had been like 3 years of me playing Final Fantasy 6 and Chrono Trigger just endlessly um because I, you know, I just had a a um, I had an American Super Nintendo in England, so I couldn't buy any games. Um, yeah. And uh, then finally I got a PlayStation for Christmas, and then Suicoden came out not long after that. So I was like, ooh, this is, this is something else entirely. All these characters and this, and this you know, this uh, fight against an empire that's not uh, faceless. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it very... Uh, <sighs> there was a lot going on in that game. <laughs> There's a lot going on in that series. It was. Um, yeah, and that's that's definitely I have always loved when the bad guys are people mm. <laughs> who are doing bad things, but you understand why they're doing what they're doing. Mm. Um, and that's yeah, that's that's the best thing about Sigurdin Two, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's got a very interesting arc. Um, I was actually talking with somebody a little while ago that. Uh, um, I I read through I read through Dune for the first time not that long ago and um, gosh seeing that Suicode into just it borrows a lot from Dune <laughs> I was uh, very I was very surprised by that but I guess it makes a lot of sense um, I would imagine that Murayama loves his Western fantasy um, judging by uh, the world that he's created in Suicode in yeah yeah. Although now the message is now that he's gone to all the people who are hoping Sukuna will come back. Even if it does, it won't. Because mm. <laughs> he's not there anymore and he had this whole vision for the series. Yeah. And it's just never going to happen, which is sad. But, you know, sometimes you just got to let go. You really do. I mean, that's why, like, as I've become older, I've been, I've become more comfortable with, uh, 
series that I enjoyed, you know, not getting a follow up because, you know, mm -hmm. many of the people who were, you know, as you said, many of the people who were involved uh, have moved on or, you know, or they just don't feel like doing it. I, you know, I would hate for somebody to make a game under duress, you know, yeah, <laughs> to just, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of like the Katamari Damacy guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, he he <laughs> got out pretty early, didn't he? So much. Sorry, he escaped pretty early, didn't he? He just put out his two yeah. He, he did he after like, after we love Katamari, he was gone. It's like here, just just take it, just leave me alone. Yeah, uh, yeah. I liked I liked uh, Keita Takahashi a lot. I think he, um, I think he's a true artist working within games. Mm -hmm. I was peering over somebody's shoulder at at EGX Res earlier this year. Uh, of, uh, the line was too long, and I had too many appointments. But I was watching, um, I was watching some people play his latest game, Tenyawanya Teens, which is like this sort of mm -hmm. weird, like. Have you seen much of it, or any? No, of it? I haven't. It's no. like it, it's it requires these bespoke controllers, um, and it looks kind of like a side-scrolling beat 'em up. And you're like these two teenagers, um, and you've got this giant. Um, it's it's two player and you've got you've you've each got these giant like arcade control pads in front of you with like a zillion different buttons and then it tells you to do things like uh uh study urinate um do a strike a pose and you have to remember what button corresponds to what and so you're sort of like running along and you know flailing and, and doing these button presses and you know whoever gets it right gets a point and whoever doesn't you know falls over and is embarrassed um it looks, they look really funny that that sounds so amazingly Japanese. <laughs> but he's he's making something else weird at the moment with like a cucumber mayor, and it's, it looks like a bit of a cross between uh, like a town building sim and Nobi Nobi Boy, and I'm extremely here for that. I am here for all town building sims and farming and Japanese farming sims forever. Mm. Not the real farming sim. My husband's always like, don't you want Farm Simulator 2018? Like, no. Oh my god, no. <laughs> I, Definitely I not. I grew up in Farm Simulator 2018. I want a cute little game where you plant your stuff by hand and you marry the village bachelor or bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, am, am I correct to assume that you're a Stardew Valley fan? Uh, yes, yes I am. Mm. I've been playing that on the Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm working on, uh, romancing the goth girl. Oh yeah, me too. Not usually my, t I'm not usually the goth type because my sister's a goth and that's uh, just kind of like, no. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but, she, but she's really, she, she wants to be an adventurer and she's a gamer. Like, I like that. <laughs> she, um, she wants to play video games and she eats rocks. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was an error, but it's funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm choosing to believe that it's intentional. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the first time I gave her a, a purple gem, I'm like, well, she's into everything purple. So I gave her yeah. a purple gem. She's like, that's delicious or something. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> that's okay. I like a few quirks in my romance interests. Yeah. No, it's, that's a, it's a very sweet little game um, that I can just lose an afternoon to. Um, yeah. is, um, is Little Dragon's Cafe on your radar? It is. It is. Although now that I am no longer in games criticism, I'm playing everything quite a bit after it came out, especially mm -hmm. with the Canadian dollar being um, so much lower than the U.S. dollar for the moment. Right. Um, everything is 80 bucks when it first comes out here, and it's just not happening. Yeah. 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 Especially, I... you know, living living the indie gamer 
uh, developer lifestyle. We don't have a ton <laughs> of disposable income at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, that's rough, but uh... yeah. So right now, right now, I'm playing um, the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey because mm-hmm. <laughs> we finally found them on sale. Yeah, so. those are those are two massive games that you know you can yes. dig into over the next uh, however long. So uh, you could do a lot worse. <laughs> But sometimes, yeah, it's, sometimes it's nice to, um, you know, have some time to breathe and catch up with older things or, mm-hmm. um, you know, return to things that you hadn't played for a while or things that you never finished. Um, I've got a massive yeah. backlog that I'm pretty ashamed of. <laughs> well, I have, because I, you know, was reviewing games, you'd have a review assignment and you'd get as far as you could before your deadline. And then, yeah, you know, it's not, not RP Gamer where you actually have to finish because when you work for the commercial sites, you can't. Yeah. Like, you literally just can't. It's so rapid fire. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and so you get as far as you possibly can to give a reasonable critique, mm-hmm. and, and then you're done. So I've got all these games. I'm like, I really liked that game. I would like to finish it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of nice being able to start doing some of that now that I've gotten off the, the grindstone for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so are you pretty happy to be out of uh, games crit? Yeah, yeah, I am. I, I enjoy writing about games. Um, I more enjoy writing about games and society and stuff like that um, yeah. than, than strictly doing reviews and critiquing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, eh. It's, it, it's, it's fun, but I'm, I'm more interested in sort of the social side of gaming. I think seeing how they fit into the world is more interesting than assigning a value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I have always hated numeric scores. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> You, you can ask you can ask uh, Mac, the editor of RP Gamer. He would come up with these wonderful, wonderful like um, statistical ranking systems when we were doing lists and stuff and all these things. One time, we came up with one that was so um, complex. That I said, "Mac, I am responding to this, but I'm giving everything a happy face, a flat face, or a sad face, and that's what you're getting from me." <laughs> He's like, "Okay, <laughs> we'll make it work." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I like I. I I, <laughs> numbers and me, I'm just like, yeah, I, I would rather, and, and we, then we joke about, we would joke about that RP Gamer too, mm-hmm. coming up with the, um, the color code of, of game review scores mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so I'm, I'm much, I'm much happier with subjective analysis, which is really, I, I really like, um, sites like, uh, Rock, Paper, Shotgun that don't even mm. assign a score. You just, if you want to know what they think, read the darn article. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that they're doing a great job. I think Waypoint's got some pretty exciting stuff at the moment as well. Yeah, Waypoint's been pretty good. Mm. Um, I also like that Polygon dropped scores not that long ago. Mm. Um, I'm kind of happy to see anybody who drops a score. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, just seeing more, um, you know, as you said, seeing more subjective pieces um, is, you know, it, it, it allows... It allows you to focus on specific elements, um, or I don't know. It, it it allows for more, like for for a more interesting um, look, I suppose, for lack yeah. of a better word. You can tell that I'm really tired today because I'm stumbling over my words. But <laughs> it, it allows it allows for people to abandon the entire sort of masquerade of objectivity mm-hmm. because that's that's, that's not no a thing. thing. <laughs> I know. And I always, I always love when people come into the content, into the the comments section. You need to be more objective. I was like, no, no, I don't. 
This is a review. It says, here's why I like the game. If I explain well why I liked it or why I didn't, you can agree or disagree, and that's how it works. I'm kind of thankful that RPG Fan doesn't have comments for its reviews at the moment, but um, <laughs> you can tell when I've written something because people get mad on Facebook. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, I, I had some I had some doozies back in the day. I hated Fallout Four. Okay, that yeah. was lots. That was lots of fun you're, when it first came out. Because now alone. everybody hates Fallout Four, yeah. right? But when it first came out, everyone was so hyped, and I just hated it. I was like, they have not advanced this formula one iota, and it's driving me nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I got quite. <laughs> I got quite the reaction, and I don't even care. Like, I would not read the comments on my own stuff because uh-huh. I, I just don't need that in my life. Really, yeah, like, I would, if someone would write to me, and then they had usually taken the time to actually like have a good response, and then I would get into it. But like the randos from the internet that comment on things, I'm like, eh, I don't need to deal with that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It just you know preserve your sanity and practice some self care by not engaging with any of no. that. Exactly. So it was when I was also a, a, an editor at the site where I reviewed this at the time. <laughs> so I, I realized what had happened when um, a few of the other writers were, were pitching um, editorials defending <laughs> my honor as a reviewer. <laughs> I was like, that's nice, guys, but I really don't care. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's that's a really sweet way of... Um... <laughs> A sweet way of tackling that instead of just like, yeah. you know, better that than, um, okay, here's here's a second review. It's good now. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, but, you know, it's just sometimes you don't like something that other people do, and sometimes you do, and, and sometimes you're vindicated three months later when people go, actually, this game is <laughs> <laughs> After that initial hype dies down and... and uh... But they never come back to your comments section and say that, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they moved on to uh, to insult the next person who's insulted the um, hot game of the month. Um, can I get about 30 seconds? I have to take some ribs out of an oven. Absolutely. Be my guest. Great. Thanks. Slow with a cider marinade. I'm not just a gamer. I'm a damn good cook. Nice. Um, got 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 the homemade ribs in the house today, huh? <laughs> yep. And we're because we have to rush across town to pick up a car as soon as my husband get home, gets home from work. <laughs> I'm just cooking them now. We'll reheat them later. Hmm. No, that sounds really good. I um I spent the last year per, uh, perfecting pulled pork in uh nice. in a slow cooker that my partner's uh brother got us for Christmas. So nice. spending all day doing that and making a barbecue sauce and then just, you know, having the, ha- having the whole house smell like pork all day. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm terribly sorry to my vegan listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I haven't done that for a while, but um, I'm a big fan of Kansas City style barbecue because I'm biased and from Kansas. So Nice. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize we were both expats because I just knew you were in the UK. So oh. when you started talking, I was like, "Oh, where's the accent?" <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I I am from I'm from the Midwest, um, and everybody always comments that I have an American accent. Um, 
I've been here for 17 years, and mm -hmm. my dad thinks I sound British, but nobody else does. <laughs> no, you don't sound British. No. <laughs> now, I've been told I sound more Canadian than I used to. Um, I definitely speak more nasally than I used to, because that's what they do up here. My sister claims I sound like a Muppet, which I think is weird, because Jim Henson is not Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I gotta admit, um, I thought that you were Canadian, and then when you know when we started speaking just now, it's like, okay, yeah, same as you. Like, ooh, there's that's not so much a Canadian accent. What's going on here? But then, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, can, the Canadian accent varies, yeah, quite a bit, and and I do say a too much. Mm -hmm. It's my husband's <laughs> fault. He doesn't think he says it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you do. That's where I got it from. Just picking up those twer those um, those uh, quirks through osmosis. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I have to. Uh, now I'm getting used to the British Columbia accent, which is, uh -huh. is is really interesting because there's a lot of shades of um, First Nations accent that you'll hear even among the white people who've lived here all their lives, which I think is kind of cool. Oh, Maybe probably never admit it, but I I can hear it. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, interesting. Mm hmm. But I yeah, I like how diaspora um, will intersect with. Um, native populations that way that's yeah that's fun is there um is there like a particular game that connects with you on a personal level oh boy <laughs> okay if there's, more than there's, one. There's, there's been a lot of them i i do um i i have uh, an interesting long and enduring relationship with bioware games mm -hmm. that uh, started with uh baldur's gate um, and me on the Bioware forums um, complaining about the love interest for female characters, the one singular love interest for female characters in Baldur's Gate 2, um, mm. who was pretty awful. Um, Animan the Cowardly Paladin. Yeah, that's my idea of a dream guy. Um, yeah. I, I hate paladins. <laughs> As I said, I am a dedicated rogue player. Whenever there are paladins in my role-playing group, <laughs> we don't get along. Um, but, um, and then on the modding forums, you know, uh, people were people were making mods so that you could romance every female romance, love interest at the same time and all that uh -huh. crap. And I was like, hey, anyone want to make a mod so that I could romance Viconia with my female character because that would be awesome because mm -hmm. she was my favorite NPC. Um, and there was like radio silence and a few dudes going, ew. And then Great. I actually got in an argument with a Bioware dev. And don't quote me on this, but I think it might have been Gator um, about uh, the female there only being one male love interest for the female character mm -hmm. and saying, well, you know, the percentages of the genders of our player base and blah, that whole entire argument. Mm -hmm. The one um, is still being made today. The one is still being made today. Years later. It's been, it's been so awesome seeing them completely turn around on that. Oh, and definitely. if it was indeed Gator that I had that argument with seeing him personally <laughs> turn around with, um, mm -hmm. It's been neat, and it was, you know, the um, first, uh, well, I didn't actually have a lesbian romance in the first Dragon Age, but um, Dragon Age 2 um, was, I think that was the first game I, I played where I was able to, to do a lesbian romance, and I thought that was really awesome. Mm. 
Um, and it, it, it just, it, it meant a lot to me. Not only that I could do a lesbian romance, but that I could do one with a character with personality who kind of said stuff that I might say. <laughs> right. Right, right. Yeah, the whole being able to, to pick from the different personality types, I really wish that they had stuck with that because I think it was it was really neat. Mm. Um, especially when they had some stuff where the character would automatically start acting a little bit more snarky because you picked all of those. And I know that's a lot of work. I know that's a ridiculous amount of work, but I'm like, darn it, we're worth it. <laughs> no, that sounds really good. Um, I was talking to... Uh, I was talking to my to my last guest uh, Nick um, about how uh, how the Growlancer games did that, where like um, your character would be shaped through multiple choice, and then you know certain mm-hmm. certain uh, dialogue options would be more readily available, and others would be closed off because you know you're you've role played this character in a certain way. Um, so um, mm-hmm. seeing that sort of uh, ethos being uh played with with a bioware budget um yeah it's the kind of thing that i can't imagine that we'll see many more times i know that dragon age 2 didn't do so great critically either uh did it yeah although that was for reasons completely different from the way you can role play in it like that was uh, the good part of it okay yeah <laughs> so I, I guess maybe maybe they took the wrong lesson away i'm not sure i haven't really um i haven't caught up with bioware in a little while um i do respect what they do but there hasn't really been anything that's really appealed to me in a while i guess that's my unpopular gaming opinion is uh, of the dragon ages number two is actually my favorite and yes i know they screwed up the dungeons because they didn't have enough time and there's a bunch of they're all basically the same dungeon with different doors closed (laughs) <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I love that it was a smaller scale story and not mm. a we must save the whole world. It's just craps going down in this city. Mm. Um, and I loved the character interactions and the role playing in it. I like smaller stakes in uh, mm. my role playing games and that it also allows you to, when you're working with a smaller space, it allows you to give it that much more character and make it yeah, exactly. much, much more dense and, and lived in. So... I'm all for experiences that are a little bit more like that rather than a big yeah. globe-trotting track. I would have felt completely differently like 20 years ago, but mm-hmm. I've uh, I've reversed my position on that. I think that is definitely part of being an adult gamer is that, mm-hmm. you know, I think teenagers and, and college-age gamers, a lot of the time they're about the big save-the-world quest, and that makes sense. I was saving the world back then too. Mm. <laughs> now, now I'm more like, okay... If I keep trying to save the world in my 40s, I am going to kill myself. So <laughs> I'm trying to do the best I can in my local community mm-hmm. and keep my friends in the United States from going completely insane um, mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. But um, I just, I, I've liked, you know, in fiction, um, stories that are a little bit different. Um, Paladin of Souls, which is about a middle-aged woman, um, a serious... Um, of games about a, a, a mom and her kids um, on a quest to save her husband who's been captured. Like, just those oh, things that are different, different stakes, different stories, and I would love to see more of that in gaming. And I, and I think that is happening in the indie sphere, mm-hmm. um, which, which makes me really happy. Um, at first, I wasn't that into indie games. A lot of it was kind of the same kind of people who make um, mainstream games just making games smaller mm-hmm. but now the indie games have opened up to a greater diversity of creators I think there's just been some really awesome stuff that's coming out now mm. 
Well, like resources like um, shop fronts like itch.io um, are yeah, yeah, yeah. like s- such a font of so many um, strange and disparate experiences. Yes. Um, well, that's where I've been finding my Western developed um, Otome games. Mm. I, um, yeah. I'm attempting to switch to the correct pronunciation. Thank you for putting up with my terrible pronunciation of Japanese things. No. <laughs> I think you're doing very well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will, I will have to check out some of the visual novels on there. Um, I, uh, recently when I've been, when I, when I can't sleep and I'm a little bit too bored with anything I have on my Vita, I will just like load up the browser and go to itch.io and just play like a handful of twine games on my Vita. Nice. <laughs> um, and that's, that's always a real tweet, a real, um, that's always a real treat. Um, and you know, I can experience like several different narratives written by several different viewpoints, just, you know, in a, um, in a little uh, bite-sized period before I go to bed. Um, mm-hmm. And I-, I love that that's available now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's it's been neat, and I've loved seeing, like, the small two-person, you know, female dev teams putting out all these uh, visual novels. And... Hell yeah. And I mean, yeah, the, the tools nice. are so accessible now as well. Yeah. Yeah, I started out trying to use Visual Novel Maker because I liked the way that it sort of organizes things by chapters but mm-hmm. everything else is so arcane and opaque <laughs> that I switched to Renpy um, which is what most people are using yeah, for those Visual Novel Maker is the recent one from Enderbrain <laughs> isn't it? Yeah it is yeah. Um, it's by the RPG, RPG Maker people Yeah, um, I have not tried yeah. Visual Novel Maker for myself but I am very familiar with RPG Maker and it's strange quirks and mm-hmm. um convenient ways of being inconvenient you know so i i I didn't have the highest hopes for visual novel maker um probably wouldn't mind checking it out at some point but i've done some renpy projects as well um and i was uh very i was very impressed with the versatility and just how easy it is to learn yeah yeah it is Mm. because i had i remember in visual novel maker i was trying to figure out how to make my characters have different font colors for their names, right? And mm-hmm. I was sitting in Visual Novel Maker, like, trying to do it, and trying to do it, and trying to do it. It wasn't working, it wasn't working, it wasn't working. And I switched to Red Pie, it was, like, on the first page, and I went, do 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 ah! I was going to write this tiny line of code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to specify the shortcut for the character name, and the color of their text, hey, look there. That's <laughs> hmm. it. Um, yeah, having, having these tools available... Um, it's very exciting. It's such an exciting time. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Because I never thought, like, I never wanted to get into game dev originally. Yeah? We actually, um, I was at Bungie one time looking at uh, the Destiny of the Taken King. Mm-hmm. And um, it was all of us, you know, cynical game journos. And one outlet had sent one of their managers just because he loved Destiny to death and he begged them to let him go. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're walking around the studio and he's like, oh, man, guys don't you wish you were a game dad? And we all looked at him and went, no, <laughs> we don't want to work those hours. Hell no. Like, <laughs> Hell no. And, and I never thought I would, but I will, you know, I, when I thought about transitioning from game dev into actually doing fiction writing mm-hmm. or not game dev game, game critique into doing fiction writing. Mm-hmm. And I started getting into visual novels. So I said, you know, this is really the perfect opportunity and these tools are here. 
mm-hmm. as long as I find somebody who can do the pretty stuff for me, this is great <laughs> because I can handle the the basic scripting programming languages. Mm. I've attempted to learn a, a, a quote unquote real programming language multiple times, and I just mm. don't have the patience. But scripting, I can do. That's not bad. Um, same here. Uh, I always wanted to be a game developer when I was a kid. Um, it nice. was just i it was just what i really really wanted to do uh i didn't end up doing it i'm glad that i didn't um <laughs> mostly because i just you know didn't i i'm i don't have patience for many things so um if i you know got confused and turned around and and disillusioned with my high school c plus plus class you know I, I didn't have much hope but um you know as i became an adult i saw that it's a very toxic uh, work environment that um, would benefit from uh, greater protections and unions and um, mm-hmm. treating its uh, treating everybody involved like actual people. Um, so yeah. I, I still want to make games, but you know, in the sort of more you know, in the small scale indie space. Um, yeah, well, it's. And it's been interesting watching the developers that I have grown up with, you know, the 90s developers that I loved have all, they're all in indie games now. Yeah. Um, and and now the, the developers that I've grown, you know, grown to love over the last um, 20 years or so, they're all going into indie games or into like a few things. Like Ubisoft has been really cool with their support of smaller, some smaller titles and stuff that, that people can go work on when they don't want to do doing a giant blockbuster for a little bit. Mm. So they, a lot of those folks have stayed, but a lot of everyone else is they're going to indies because once you're over, like, once you want to have a family yeah, or, or even just over 35, yeah. it's like, can't do this anymore. I can't live in the studio. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, you, you've had it and you deserve better. So yeah, go, go make something better or, you know, go make something in a better environment. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Uh, um, so, um, so you're into visual novels at the moment. I am. Well, I'm into everything, but yeah, uh, I have been I've been reading a lot of visual novels. Hmm. What have um, you What not, have you been reading? Um, let's see. Well, the one that got me into my current J with Otome Games. Um, although I've I've, I've um, played some of the ones that, uh, especially Axis Games. Shout out Axis Games. They've been awesome with Otome. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first um. Western one that really got me into it was it, it's called uh, the Cinderella Phenomenon. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's another it's a very small all female dev team and they um, came up with this world where um, the uh, dark fairies have put fairy tale curses on everybody. Um, so they sort of take fairy tales and make them into curses. So you have a character with uh, the Peter Pan curse who's um, a little boy. Mm-hmm. And then um, your own character gets the Cinderella curse. She's a princess who has been raised really poorly, and um, the the protagonist and um, she's treating everybody. She's treating her step family really poorly when they come into thing. And um, a witch decides to give her the Cinderella curse, so she no one can remember her, and she's suddenly left with nothing. Um, and then she meets all these other characters, male characters with with fairy tale curses, and right. And um, it's it's neat because she has to deal with her situation and the fact that um, there's sort of evil fairies trying to take over the kingdom, but she's also getting to these other characters and also finding her way 
with her family, depending on which routes you take, you do a little bit more or less of that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's neat because it's more than there's there's a lot of romance in it, but it's a lot more than that too. There's a lot of politics, and the character has her own personality and learns how to overcome her upbringing and become a better person. And mm-hmm. that's, like that's really cool. That does sound really cool. Um, I'm looking at screenshots of it now. It's really striking and really pretty. Um, yeah, the, the art is excellent too. It sounds like. Um, it sounds like a more interesting version of this game that I played for a review maybe a year or two ago, Oz Mafia. Have you heard of this game? <laughs> I heard about that one. I, I, I read about the protagonist and decided I didn't want to buy it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something else. Um, yeah, I can't recommend that one. It's... Uh, like I think like if they did a weird take on just the Wizard of Oz, that would be one thing, but... Um, similar to Cinderella phenomenon, it's just like it's the Wizard of Oz, but also like here's a million fairy tale characters, and also um, uh, um, Dorian Gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for me, when I read a review and I and I see the phrase "kind of rapey" more than once, yeah. I'm like, no. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it really was that. Um, yeah. And at the same time, like, it was so cute. And then there was that. And, uh, yeah, that was a long and complicated game. Um, yeah. But this looks like, much I was, more I was lucky that my first Otome game was Haku-Oki because there mm. was really nothing rapey in Haku-Oki. Mm. <laughs> Everything is pretty darn consensual. Um, it is. That character, she's a little bit passive as well. But She's a little bit passive, but... I really like that game, though. Yeah, I do like it. Well, I've, I've learned all about that. Like, it made me want to look up that era in history and actually read the actual historical background of all the characters and mm-hmm. laugh because most of them were married. And, you know, obviously they're bachelors in this game, so that you can romance them, but it's kind of funny. Ba- bachelors with perfect hair, but, like, bald guys with yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you look at the pictures of, of, of how they actually looked in history. It's like, okay... Hichikata was actually hot in history, and that was actually what he was known for, too. He was like Mr. Handsome Man, the rest of them! (laughs) Engaging with Bioware games and looking for more romance options, um, was that that sort of around the time that you uh, discovered that you were queer? It was a a couple years after I came out when Baldur's Gate 1 came out. Um, There was no romance in that one, but... um, Yeah. But yeah, it was, um, I came out my sophomore year of university, um, was one of those things where, you know, <laughs> the first, the first woman that, that I had a crush on I, when I came out, she's like, you weren't already out. <laughs> I was like, well, part of that was probably cause I was totally in love with you. <laughs> so <laughs> you realized that I was into girls still, <laughs> but, um, you know, when I look back on it, it. I totally had a crush on several women, including one of my English teachers in high school. Mm-hmm. But because I also liked boys, I just assumed I was straight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first time I heard of bisexuality was when my sister came out as lesbian and her first girlfriend was bisexual. And I was like, what's that? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out my sister later decided she was bisexual too and has a male partner now but um Mm -hmm. so yeah that's and and um 
I, I had this sort of real boy crazy phase that now I look back at it, it was like, yeah, it was sort of me not confronting who I really am. So when I was in university, I got involved in the Gay-Straight Alliance, and it kind of, you know, went towards me realizing, no, yeah, I, I like girls, and I probably always have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, and, and I started, you know, wanting to engage with fiction and, and, you know, reading LGBT authors and seeing, you know, these games that I love didn't really have a lot of that experience in them. And it would be really nice if they did. So I had to wait a while mm-hmm. um, before queer stuff started coming into games. So it's mm-hmm. been really neat to see it finally come out, so to say, this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> games coming out as um, well, yeah. Especially in the indie game sphere. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. mainstream games, uh, still not still not a lot of options. But We're seeing like a little bit more now, but it's still... Uh, <laughs> there's still so yeah. many problems, and... Um, uh, I was discussing with uh, with my previous guest Raven about how um, you know games like The Last of Us seem you know they will give you the representation, but then they will kill off their their queer characters before the end. Yeah, uh, you know everybody likes to bury their gaze, mm-hmm. and I've I've had it I've had it with that in all forms of media pretty much. Most definitely, yeah. <laughs> like I remember back in the mid nineties, um, I took a I took a class in college called Valkyries Naiads witches and dykes something like that mm-hmm. um about queer literature and realized that lesbian literature <laughs> is so freaking depressing oh yeah <laughs> super freaking depressing especially the stuff from the 20th century um like almost all of it is completely tragic that's uh, like why um, and then I finally watched finally in that class the one non-depressing thing was a movie called Antonia's Line Okay. Um, which is, it's a Dutch movie about a woman um, who, a single mom who's raising daughters, and one of the daughters is gay, and gets herself knocked up in a one-night stand so that they can have a kid together. And, like, this for the 90s was really, like, pretty crazy and pretty awesome. And and it was it was a, a good film. It wasn't super tragic. It was like, okay, can we have more of that? Hmm. Um, so I'm glad that, that uh, you know, like, most games have, have not done that too much, but I think it's starting to sneak in there because it's so common in TV and movies. And it's like, you know, I'm not a real big fan of making every romance end tragically, no matter what the sexual orientation. Yeah. Because, you know, that, that seems to be like, just it's just one of those go-to things. Oh, my character needs a motivation. Oh, we're going to have their love interest die tragically. And of course, that's usually a woman. Um, yeah. You know, the, the stuffed in stuffed in the refrigerator, or just you know, yeah. using uh, using using a living person as a well, a using a written character really is just a a conduit to inspire the protagonist through death. No matter yeah. what the no matter what the character's uh, gender is, it's kind of a mm-hmm. skeezy process. Or uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And there, there are, you know, there are good times to kill characters and, and, mm-hmm. and good things to be had through that. But I feel like the current literary tradition is really out of control. Mm. Um, I actually, I started feeling that way about the general literary tradition with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. When every book stopped being about what adventures Harry's going to have and started being about, oh, who's going to die in the next book? I'm like, really? Oh, wow. Okay. Because that, that was that was that was what the not necessarily J.K. Rowling's fault, uh-huh. but it was how people were responding to the books coming out. 
um, and it'd be like, oh, who's going to die? Who's going to die? That's the important part. And I'm like, no, it's not. So <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm, I haven't read any Harry Potter. Do you think like the fan base um, and JK Rowling were kind of having that effect on each other and it was kind of making the problem mm-hmm. worse in later books? I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know a whole lot about her process, mm-hmm. but definitely like she had one book in which a character died and I thought it was a very appropriate character death. Mm. Um, the very the first big death in the book, um, because it was you know it was actually a a character who would have been expected to go up against the big bad guy but just didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like every book after that started killing off characters right. and and it starts started being more like oh who's going to get killed off now upping the ante. And that's also uh-huh. why I refuse to watch Game of Thrones. It's just not my thing. Like it's all about oh who's dying now. Who's, who's having sex with their brother? <laughs> yeah, I, I have not seen any of Game of Thrones to date. Um, I keep meaning to, but it seems like one of these... Uh, it just seems a little... It seems like the barrier to entry would be a little bit too high for me. <laughs> I, I, I think it's awesome that it's gotten a lot of people into fantasy fiction, but as yeah. someone who's been into fantasy fiction for a long time, I'm kind of like, mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, it's also, it's awesome that George R.R. R. Martin is finally getting his dues after, you know, spending 30 years doing this and, um, mm, yeah. you know, just kind of being being in the, uh, you know, being a titan of fantasy, but being sort of in the margins in the wider pop culture. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah, always exciting. Nice. There's plenty of other authors and things that I think would make good, <laughs> good movies, but unfortunately, when they try to do them like The Wizard of Earth, see, they have a tendency to do it really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> like... from what I've from what I've been told, because I haven't read George R. R. Martin, weirdly, my mother, who hates violence of all kinds, is super into Game of Thrones, the books. Okay. <laughs> Um, but she, from what she's told me, it sounds like the TV show is relatively true to the spirit of the books. Okay, um, maybe take things a little further, but I think that's one of the first that and you know the the um, first three Lord of the Rings movies I think are some of the only fantasy movies that have actually really sort of been true to the books. Mm-hmm. It's difficult with I, it, it's difficult with fantasy and it's difficult with certain genres like cyberpunk because um, mm-hmm. a lot of these things they're just kind of I don't know they're kind of unfilmable um, yeah yeah so I don't necessarily think that they need to have adaptations but it's nice when those adaptations go right you know yeah. very rarely but hmm. exactly so I would I would love to see you know more of the female authors get their due in pop culture as well, other than just J.K. Rowling, who's awesome, but, you know, she's kind of so done now. But there's so much more. Yeah, yeah she's, she's kind of done now. Um, I, it sounds like her attempts to write non-Harry Potter haven't gone spectacularly well, but... Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem to be... doesn't seem to have that have that spark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, there's so many, there's so many women that I've been reading for so long, especially some of the um, real veterans of the the genre. That's like it's it's too bad that they didn't come along in this era, but they were the ones who broke the ground for it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it'd be nice to see some of those classics be brought to life somewhere. But I, I hope they get their dues eventually. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they've they've certainly got their dues in the in the in the writing world, but you know, yeah. seeing a little bit um, more attention or. Um, oh, there's so, so many so many women that are way more deserving than. Um, you know, something like an altered car- an adaptation of Altered Carbon. 
which I haven't seen yet, but I read that book, and that book is just that book is a video game. Yeah, I I mean I've heard some other things about Ready Player One. Uh, yeah, I mean even more so. Although I heard that the movie is actually in some ways better to the female protagonist than the books are, but I wasn't really interested in either of them. So. Yeah, not not my bag, um, what I've heard about those books. They seem a little skeezy. Um, I, I absolutely love, however, the 80s girl versions that people have come up with of Ready Player One, where they make all the 80s girl pop culture references. You've got your My Little Pony and your Rainbow Bright nose. So because it really does make the point that that particular view of 1980s pop culture is very so male-centric. Male-centric, yeah. And um, well, male-nerd-centric, but it's just like, yeah, you know, I was into some of that stuff, but there were all this other stuff that I was into, too. Get your easy-bake oven and, you know, play Blind Date and avoid the dud. <laughs> okay, I wasn't into that shit. I was a tomboy, but... <laughs> no, no, but, like, I would love to see... I would love to see a... a um, uh, a movie in the vein of Ready Player One that is based on all of that like super feminine pop culture from the eighties. That would be a real scream. <laughs> that would yeah. be kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, and no, I, I I was not into the the feminine mm-hmm. pop culture of the eighties. No, I wasn't. It, I wasn't suggesting that you were. Oh yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it didn't. Uh, I mean, I, there's absolutely nothing wrong with with the people that were. You know, it was mm-hmm. just one of those things for me. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I I actually was I found one of my old diaries recently and I, I just read this time and was like I was mean, like the fifth grade I have dedicated my life to being a tomboy. That's <laughs> like hyper dramatic statement. That's so good. It's like this real real final strident statement on it. Yeah. And then in university I realized oh there's a word for that I'm gender queer okay. <laughs> but you know back then it was just like yeah I don't like I don't feel like you know girls are supposed to feel <laughs> uh-huh i it was complicated in those days because i never felt like how boys were supposed to feel either yeah so um yeah i guess boys kind of have a they've had a pretty easy time of it anyway i suppose just by um yeah you know <laughs> as we said with ready player one like media seems very male-centric um in terms of popular popular media that was around when i was a kid but yeah, although I think I think boys who broke the gender norms mm-hmm. have, in, in some ways, have a harder time than girls. Different time. I mean, yeah, I spent my, you know, I spent my youth being occasionally, you know, corrected, uh-huh. <laughs> told not to not to act that way because it wasn't ladylike, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of my male friends spent their <laughs> adolescence being beat up for, mm-hmm. you know. Or stuff like that so it's you know yeah, i think it's, sounds, it's rough for everybody it sounds familiar <laughs> um so so what is it for you that games do differently than other media that um draws you to them um i like i, I love the interactivity mm-hmm. um when you have a chance to to tell your own story to role play um that's that's why i i i'm a big fan of the western rpg tradition that actually you know, does some actual role playing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, the 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 revival of the CRPG has been really pretty cool for me. Mm. Have you been um, catching up on some of those? I have been catching up on some of them. Um, it takes me a while to get through them, but uh, mm. I, I I still think I think there's more that they could do with the the actual role playing instead of focusing as much on the stats and combat and stuff. 
Yeah. Um, some of that stuff is kind of archaic still, and mm. so yeah, I could see I could see you guys you know experimenting more with the gameplay, but trying to really go forward with the role playing that would be neat. Mm. Um, I think we'll see more experiments there. I've been I I've started with that uh, with Torment Tides of Numenera, and mm. I haven't really had the time that I want to put into it but i'm really interested in what that game's doing because like i yes, yes you know it opens with a combat encounter and then like i played it for another eight hours and i haven't seen another combat encounter and it's all been <laughs> about your interactions with this world and learning yeah. and using your knowledge and how you respond to it and that's really exciting yeah i've i've, I've gotten through part of the beginning of that i think i'm gonna have to restart it because i mm. forgot what i've done at that point. but yeah i do I do like the and I like the ones where the character creation you you have a chance to do something besides just make a D and D character sheet. Yeah, um, you know, do it do it through a little bit of role playing yourself. Mm. Um, although sometimes that leads to making a character you didn't think you were making. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's also nice when they let you sort of alter it. Later on. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> I wanted to be a thief, not a mage. <laughs> Get some course correction here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, have you seen this upcoming game, Disco Elysium? I have not. I've, I've been. There, there, it feels weird because I used to know everything that was coming up, but now yeah. it's been about a year and a half since I was doing game crit, so I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm out of the loop. I hadn't heard of this either. Um, I saw this at uh, EGX Resed, uh, which is like a big indie games showcase uh, here in London. Uh, back in spring, um, it's this it's this isometric uh, computer RPG made by this Russian team. Um, and it takes place in like what seems like it's kind of like a sleazy purgatory, um, in kind of like a 1970s style. And you're this, uh, you're this cop, uh, who wakes up with amnesia and just, and, you know, finds that he's supposed to be investigating a murder, but he just can't remember the first thing about himself. Um, (laughs) and depending on like how you interact with your hungover brain uh in the very first segment that sort of that kind of functions as your character cre- is your character creation um, <laughs> nice and there's there's no combat at all there's like skills and stats but like everything mm-hmm. is governed by um decisions you make and then die rolls um uh-huh. so i guess there there like there will be combat but it won't be like um an rpg battle it will be you know making tactical uh, decisions through, um, you know, like through multiple choice and seeing how your skills stack up, uh, stack up to it. It's incredibly stylized, and mm-hmm. um, I found the writing a little bit hard edged for me uh, when I played it. But I really like the idea of what it's doing. Um, yeah, like cause I, I recently played uh, Planescape Torment for the first time for a podcast, and oh, nice. I liked it a lot. But my least favorite mm-hmm. thing about that was the combat. Um, oh, yeah. I was like, I don't need to fight all these bats in the sewers. This isn't why I'm yeah. here. And yeah, um, exactly. Uh, I was speaking to the to the head designer of of Disco Elysium, and he was saying that, that yeah, like Torment is his favorite game, but he doesn't want to fight the bats in the sewers either. <laughs> so yeah, I, I got I, I loved loved Torment until I started getting into the um, sort of late part of the game, and then there's this whole series of things that all of a sudden it becomes really linear and you're in a whole bunch of combat and i'm like what happened yeah it's just not what's interesting about that game yeah 
So what are what are some of your favorites at the moment? I know I'm just going to turn the light on. I'm just getting darker and darker here in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Okay, let's try again. <laughs> um, so, what are some of your favorites at the moment? I know you're you're um, playing the the big Switch games of last year. I have been playing the big Switch games of last year. Um, I wasn't sure if I would like Zelda Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. um, because I actually sort of like the Zelda puzzle format. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tried and, I, and through, I, yeah. Yeah, it's tried through. I don't mind playing through it. But I actually do, I, I found myself really loving it for, for the exploration. And there's actually a lot more character interaction than I thought there would be from seeing the, the previews. There's a lot of towns and a lot of people you interact with as you go along. So I was so cool. happy um, when I found a town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But once you start, once you find that first town, then you get directed to a bunch of other ones. So it's like, oh, okay, there's, there's people here. Yeah. Um, but I, I hate, hate, hate how quickly the weapons degrade. I don't mind the system, but it's like you, you get a weapon, you use it for two whole fights and it breaks. It's like, come mm. on. But they, they keep throwing weapons at you hand over fist, but then you've got that limited inventory space and if you want to drop yeah, something, yeah. it's a bit of a to-do and mm-hmm. yeah, that game has got some interface issues. Um, yeah. But, Especially like I find when I'm exploring, like I have I have an inventory full of like super nice, high quality you know, good weapons yeah, and then I start exploring, and I wander into a place with easy monsters. I'm like, okay, so I use like my least good good weapon mm. that blows up, and then all I get are goblin clubs. And I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about so right. So that yeah, that system could use a little refinement. But I, I I love the way they they made the world and and the sense of exploration and the fact that it's not um, activities on a map, mm-hmm. which so many open world games do like oh here's your map and here's five million icons like no if you want to find something you have to go out and find it Mm -hmm. and i'm like yeah i like that the map is still good you can mark on it yourself but it's not it's not like assassin's creed checkpoints and i love assassin's creed but Mm -hmm. i'm kind of (laughs) glad they're getting away from that check check mark thing like i I like a lot of those open world games, but you know when it gets to feeling like you're just ticking off a list, it gets a little bit too much for me at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. seeing um, seeing something like Breath of the Wild, there really wasn't any. There still really isn't anything else like that that just you know gives you this world, and there's a lot to do in it. But you know, it has the confidence to let you find it mm-hmm. and spend as much yeah. or as little time as you want finding it. And as an old school gamer, like that's what they all used to be like, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah. Um, at least the, the early RPGs, um, they were. I mean, those, some of those games were just huge, mm. um, and and you weren't given, you know, a world map with icons on it. Did you ever, did you ever play the interactive fiction game Amnesia? I have not. Um, I have found. The, although I started off with um, interactive fiction, mm-hmm. that I don't navigate very well in interaction interactive fiction games. I tend to lose my place. Yeah. So I, I prefer a little, at least a bit of graphics. Yeah. No, uh, I'm I'm much the same way. Um, well, I do pretty well with Twine, and I'm happy with Twine if there's not uh graphics but you know that that allows for little flourishes and um the hypertext and creative style sheets allow you to like play with text and display and using hyperlinks instead of like a, a opaque 
parser is a really smart move. Um, but there was this game that my mom had, Amnesia. It was a text adventure by the late science fiction author, author uh, Thomas Dish. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, you, you know, you wake up uh, in a hotel room in New York with amnesia and need to, you know, you've got some clues in your pocket and you need to find out um, how to solve this mystery. Um, and it had, like, every street corner on Manhattan Island was a room that you could traverse. So you, like, wow. you know, you would, like, follow these clues and then, you know, have to explore a two-scale uh, to scale rendition of, of Manhattan. So, mm-hmm. um, really strange and not very fun, but a really interesting idea. It sounds a little bit like my mudding days. Yeah. A lot of those worlds were kind of like that. Like you just kind of went off and you're like, what weird stuff had someone put here? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I had my own adventures in the mudding days as well. <laughs> I, I had a, a long distance relationship that, uh, uh, we had met physically, but he lived several hours away, and so we would get together in a mud. Mm-hmm. And, of course, back in the days, <laughs> that meant that our phone line was busy a lot. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I irritated my parents to no end. but <laughs> I'm not sure how much I irritated my parents, because my dad's a pastor, uh-huh. and if I was on the phone, he wasn't getting weird calls from weird people who looked him up in the phone book. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so you had you had your uses for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We did. We we got a lot of we got a lot of weird calls. <laughs> People would look. Oh, Reverend Lee. Let's see if he'll give us money or deal with my bizarre mental illness. <laughs> right. Yeah. Some kind of lost yeah. lost soul. Huh? Well, I'd answer the phone at twelve. Somebody with like sexual issues wanted to tell me about them. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if you talk to preachers' kids, we've got stories. Uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds pretty intense. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. um, I'm a little conscious of the time. Um, yes. Uh, was there anything that you wanted to discuss before we wrapped up? Wow, we've been over a whole bunch of stuff. We have. It's been really fun. Yeah, I've enjoyed talking to you. Um, I will say that if anybody out there is a burgeoning uh, visual novel artist and looking for a project, uh, you know, give me a give me a tick at uh, Becky C Freelance at Twitter dot com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or if you're interested in, in seeing how the game develops, I'm not posting a whole lot about it right now, but I probably will be in a few months. Mm. Yeah, keep me updated. I I'd, I'd love to see um, I'd love to see your work in progress. Right, yeah, no, I'll be I'll be posting some more stuff up and probably make an actual like Twitter and web page for it uh, once we get closer to to bringing out a, a demo for it. Excellent. So. Oh, I look, yeah. I look I look forward to seeing that. Um, so people can find you on Twitter. Can they find you anywhere else online? <laughs> Not really. Um, I sort of segmentalize my uh, online life. Um, so video game people want to find me, Becky C. Freelance at Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, real life friends I keep track of on Facebook. And other than that, I'm pretty low profile online. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to be, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, like to, I, I, I sometimes I call myself a techno Luddite because I'm a real techno nerd, but... There's a lot of things I sort of value about the unplugged life as well, and and sort of 
keeping a lot of my private life private online is one of those things. I, I have sympathy for the Luddites because they understand technology and understand why it's bad. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Becky, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Um, it's been wonderful having you. Um, we'll have to yeah, do this again Scott. at some point. So. For sure. Uh, so, folks, you know where to find us online. We're on Twitter at YourMyPod and on the web at misanthropop.com. Uh, and with that, uh, we will sign off here tonight, and I will catch you next week with another guest. So thank you for listening.